שם בגלי. Hello and welcome to Shatbagali, an old Lincolnshire adjective to describe absolutely anything loose and disorderly, which sums up both the podcast and this Lincolnshire last quite nicely, as both tend to go off on a tangent every so often. In a moment, we'll hear how a New Yorker got on making a traditional Christmas pudding, a chef who spent his and his fiancée's entire wedding fund on a pub kitchen, and the gardening guru drops in to talk Christmas trees. First though, with it being episode 27, here are a few other things with the same number. Players each side in the 16th century Italian game of calcio, an early form of football, players had to be and I quote, gentlemen, aged 18 to 45, <laughs> beautiful and vigorous, of gallant bearing and good report. Flippin' heck, and they managed to find 27. Uh, kilos of cheese eaten per person in Greece in 1998, making them, still to this day, the official largest cheese-eating country per capita, and the most nipples on a mammal, belonging to the catchy-named shrewish short-tailed opossum monodelphus sorex found in brazil ironic really has uh, has all those nipples and all those letters but she herself bless her is tiny with a head and body length of only 11 to 13 centimeters a tail is six and a half to eight and a half centimeters and weighs only 48 grams a little less than a medium-sized egg i have to tell you something when i discovered this here story it instantly made me smile, remembering um, a tale a good friend of mine told me when on a trip to Rome. And their Italian tour guide said the, where they were going to and what he thought he was saying was they were going to Naples. <laughs> but no. Um, and it also kept repeating it in his description when they arrived in Naples, um, enthusing how uh, beautiful Nipples was in the summer covered in Bougainvillea. <laughs> what is it with Rome? Uh, if you listen to Shep Bagley in my app, you, you're still with me. Thank you. You may remember my trip to Rome with my sister earlier in the year and the tour guide giving the youngsters a sticker. Uh, um, under 18s, they had to wear a sticker with the letter R, which I, I still don't know what R stood for. But then in her voice, which said, Can I get all the R stickers? Please, the are stickers. Well, just cracked you up. Anyway, so there you are, uh, Naples and um, R stickers. So how are you doing that end? Good, I hope. Uh, things I've learned since we last caught up. Uh, canaries aren't breeding at all well across the globe. Uh, that was from the builder who came to look at our roof. I know. And in the old days, they used to add gravy browning to Christmas cakes to make them darker which leads me quite nicely into our first guest, actress and baker Kim Goldfeder-Clark from New York. Kim joined us a few weeks ago when we talked about scones, which then led to certain ingredients that we take for granted here in the UK, but are not available in America or Canada, such as self-raising flour, double cream and suet, which made for an interesting challenge when Kim said she would have a go at making a traditional Christmas pudding using my secret family recipe. Well, she did it, including steaming the puds for at least eight hours. 
So had Kim finally managed to dry out her kitchen? It's so funny. I have, but I have to say, after it was all said and done the next day, I wasn't cooking anything. And my husband came home from work and he goes, are you still steaming that pudding? <laughs> because it was very, like, I guess, foggy. And I go, no, I'm, I've been long done. <laughs> so do you not have steamed puddings in the States? I have to say, uh, you know, in all my years on this earth, I've never... Um, and no, I don't really think it's too common oh. here in the States. Maybe, maybe in other parts of the country, but I, I've yet to, I've never even had one, much less made one. So, I mean, you see it all, you see it, you know, the traditional English puddings and hmm. of course on like the baking shows, they'll always say, oh, that's, that's more a pudding or a pud than a cake. And before I knew any better, I would think like, because for us, pudding is like chocolate pudding, vanilla pudding, like you'd get um, <laughs> you'd get in a box growing up, or um, you could make it certainly from scratch. Like my daddy loved chocolate pudding pie. Oh. And so I would, yeah. So that's kind of like a, like a Boston cream pie. So it's a regular pat sucre you know, crust. And then I would make a homemade chocolate pudding, um, mm. which I think is similar to your mousse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when we chatted last time and you said, oh, I'm up for doing a Christmas pudding. Again, we got all excited with the ingredients. We hit a, a wall with uh, suet. And and then you you almost hit another wall with currants. Yeah, so yes and no, like... Currants, you know, I've never eaten the currants, to my knowledge, but I ordered it. And when I, you know, opened the bag to taste, I'm like, it's a raisin. So truly, it's it's a different varietal of grape yeah. that makes it a currant. Mm. Um, but delicious. I mean, really, I enjoyed it. Yeah. the Because um, the sultana, the raisin, and the currant are all grapes, dried grapes, but the different sizes so the current's the tiniest one and the sweetest one i think it's uh it's it's yeah. nice it's very nice and as far as suet goes you and i had a discussion i said well i'm i'm not going to you know the local butcher and get some suet so <laughs> what can we you know change and your chef friend suggested first unsalted butter and then quickly changed that yeah. which i didn't think it would be the same consistency flavor so Crisco is what we have here in the States, yeah. Which is like our equivalent of a shortening. So it was the vegetable shortening, wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. did you enjoy doing it? Because you, you, uh, you've never done it before. <laughs> no, I loved it. Well, you, you know me. I mean, a little you know me. I love new recipes. I The more involved, the better. We had a, the, the listeners wouldn't know this, but we had a, a good laugh over the fact that I was trying to MacGyver a steam pot situation. Yeah. And for, for those of your listeners, MacGyver was a TV show. I never really watched it, but the, the joke is that the guy, the lead guy, he would be able to do all these cockamamie things with like a paper clip, you know, crazy glue and chewing gum. And then he'd be able to, you know, solve world problems. <laughs> and so whenever you say, oh, I MacGyvered it, that means you basically came up with some kind of cockamamie contraption or idea to make it work. Right. Yeah. In the UK, we would call that bodged. 
bodged. Yeah, yeah, you bodged it together. Well, I presume B-O-D-G-E. I don't think I've ever really spelt it. But yes, to bodge (laughs) something is to put something together to make it work. That's right, yeah. And we would just say, I MacGyvered it. Or maybe it's a me thing, but I don't think so. I think people would get at least here in the States. But I, I had a laugh because I kept going downstairs to my mom's part of the house and said, all right, mom, what kind of pots do you have? And the two of us were just going through all her cupboards and I was changing lids and putting pots. And, and it was only until you told me that the topmost pot had to have holes in it. Yeah. That I realized, all right, now I'm really in for it. <laughs> But I managed to make it work. <laughs> good, good. So did you do a wish when you when you were stirring it? I did a wish when I was stirring it. And part of that, a couple of wishes, part of it was I hope this comes out okay. <laughs> but then when it was all finished, you know, I took it out. I did like you suggested, five hours the first night. And yeah. then I had had it. It was late. And then about four hours the next day. And then when I took it out and I unveiled it and we were chatting, I said to myself, do I make a wish now as well? You know, and then we talked about the sixpence. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm not putting a coin <laughs> in this pudding. But I thought, oh, maybe you take an, you make another wish when you eat it. So I'm, I'm holding another wish. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you put a sixpence in, uh, we don't do that. Because uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Put in a bit of metal in a pudding. <laughs> <laughs> and too, too many relatives over the years with dentures. It's not good, Kim. <laughs> No, so we don't do that. But uh, so if you wished while you were eating, it would be, please don't let me have that sixpence. Please don't let me have to go to the dentist. Yeah, yeah. But no, you did it. Aunt Marge. Yeah. (laughs) If you did it while you were stirring, that's your wish. So they've been doing, you've ended up with two. You've got two Christmas puddings. What are you going to do with them? We just had this discussion this morning because they're on my counter. So my family, the family I married into is very large. They're the Clarks. And my, I don't know if you know this, um, Jerry, my husband, is one of 16 brothers and sisters. 16? Yeah. <laughs> Your the, exactly. Hang on. Was there nothing on the telly? <laughs> That's why I said, oh, my God. You know, not to be indiscreet, but I'm like, oh, your mother's uterus must be on the floor, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and they're all as delightful as, you know, they can be. But every year we have the Clark family Christmas party. So... I'm going to save one pudding for us, and then I'm going to bring one of the puddings on, it's on the 16th. So I'm going to bring that, but I'm going to make that rum cream sauce that you suggested. Yes, yeah. To accompany it. But you'll laugh because in addition to your mom's Christmas pud, I also made a traditional fruitcake, which I've also never made. You've never made fruitcake. So, <laughs> no, no, because... Honestly, I've never even eaten fruitcake, I don't think, because that's the joke. Like, oh, you don't want a fruitcake. Everybody re-gifts the fruitcake and it passes around. And, oh, yeah. Um, because it's not a really, it's like a store-bought bought one and not so great. But I said, well, it has to be good. So I did a little research. It got amazing reviews. So between your mom's pudding and the Christmas fruitcake, I have four. <laughs> that, but it's a look. it's similar yet different because... The Christmas fruitcake, you make it in like a, a loaf pan, so it's just rectangular as opposed to that beautiful kind of bowl shape that your mom's pudding is. Yeah. Um, and I think you just slice it like a fruitcake would, I mean, I guess you could put it in a bunt or what have you, but I'm bringing one of each to the Clark family Christmas party. Are you going to cover the 
Christmas cake with marzipan and then icing because that's traditional. You mean the fruit cake? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that, well, this recipe doesn't cover that. This recipe, after it's all baked, you take a cheesecloth, you soak it in triple sec, <laughs> and then you roll it in that, and then you take that whole thing, you put it in parchment, you take that, you put it in tin foil, and you take that, you put it in a Ziploc bag in the fridge, which honestly I thought was a little overkill, but I, I followed the directions. Okay. And then once a week, you're supposed to re-soak it in triple sec. Mm -hmm. And... The original recipe called for, you stewed, it was, I, I have the recipe here, figs, cherries, prunes, sh any kind of unsweetened uh, dried fruit. Right. So I put apricots, I put um, dried peaches, and um, but dark rum. So you basically soak all of that and some nuts for 24 hours in, in this booze. <laughs> and then you do the cake. And then you soak the whole thing once a week in triple sack, up to six, eight weeks. Jeez. I mean, God knows what it's going to take. Don't, don't. Everybody be drunk. Don't go near a naked flame. <laughs> no, not at all, right? I put my hair back in a bun. But yeah, it doesn't call for marzipan. Oh. Um, if you've never seen it or you've never had one, the marzipan and the icing just breaks it up a little bit because fruitcake can be quite heavy, can't it? It's quite dense. You won't oh, need sure. a lot of it. So in here in the UK and I guess other parts of the world, you like uh, put a bit of apricot jam or some marmalade over the... Now, the interesting thing is you don't do that if she's still wet from having lots of alcohol soaked in. So with mine, okay. you skewer it and then I've been using rum, so pouring rum. But I have to leave her a good five to six days before I then put the marzipan on. And it just folds, fits to the, the cake. And then you just put royal icing over the top and then little decorations if you want, little tiny robin or something. Oh, pretty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, I don't know what my finish will be. I mean, maybe I'll put a little, maybe I'll try the, the marzipan because like you say, you could see it's dense. It's yeah. dense as all could be mm. with all the fruit and the nuts and cockamamie. But um, <laughs> between your pudding and this fruitcake, oh, the house smelled delightful. It was just Christmas all over the place. I know, but I'm worried about you and the Clark family because if you don't have <laughs> normally fruitcake, fruit pudding, oh, my days, you well you'll you'll be fine you'll be you'll be certainly regular kim i think to be honest <laughs> after all that fruit <laughs> there's so many of them because not only in the 16 there are most of them married most of them have kids that are adults now got, i don't even know how many like 50 nieces and nephews they're all you know it's insane and so even if you get a taste of it you know what i mean like there's there's yeah. so many people yeah how regular can they be if they only get one spoon well know. make sure that you end up with something after all that you've done they've all eaten it and you don't get any no i'm gonna save one of each for our family and maybe i'll throw a christmas party or maybe it'll just oh, be yeah. for my immediate yeah. friends but uh just to add to your um <laughs> your thing with the christmas pudding it is better if you steam it on the morning you're going to use it again. I know I know you've steamed it, you've cooked it, but you can <laughs> she will benefit. Oh, there we go. She will benefit from steaming again for a couple of hours so she, rather than pop her in the microwave to warm her up. It's just not the same. So you can steam her again to warm oh, her through, ready for the ready for the service. Okay. 
Oh, see, all right. See, I'm glad you told me that. I didn't know that. So I'm going to have to get my mom's pots out from the back of her. <laughs> the best is I had all these pots and lids. And of course, I was mixing them all up. And then I looked at them all in the kitchen and I said, I don't remember which ones are hers and which ones are mine, except for a couple that are our favorites. So I'll have to tell her that at the very last minute. I need your pots. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just hope you like them kim i really do that's that's the big thing i mean if you if you don't i'll just have to say it's it's obviously due to the vegetable shortening if if it all goes if it all <laughs> goes it. wrong that's <laughs> it it was all crisco's fault <laughs> <laughs> so what's your crisco sponsorship <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do then well as a family how does your christmas day look over in new york Sure. So, you know, I'm Jewish as well as my husband's Catholic, but my mom and I, we celebrate everything. So we have this beautiful Christmas tree up um, tonight, uh, the first night of Hanukkah. So I'll light a menorah. Oh, I'm, happy I'm Hanukkah. A very... Oh, thank you so much. Um, happy Hanukkah to all your listeners too. Um, I'm a very, uh, what they would call reformed do, meaning I'm not religious whatsoever. <laughs> I just believe in God and being a good person and peace onto the world. Um, but so we'll probably, we always do a, a mishmash. My husband always likes a ham for Christmas. So we'll make a ham and then we'll make latkes. A latkes, a potato, potato latkes. So it's like, oh. um, potatoes, onions. That's the traditional. It's fried like a pancake. Ah. Yeah. It's a very traditional, um, Jewish recipe. And, you know, you can serve it with sour cream or applesauce. So I always laugh because we have both. Now, um, the bucket list for me is to come over to New York in the festive season because the oh. pictures that we see from around the world just look phenomenal. Rockefeller, the skating oh. rink, on New Year's Eve when the ball drops. It just... Is it as lovely in real life, Kim? It's as magical as you would envision. Mm. Um, you know, I like to say, you know, most of the time it's true people are kinder the streets they're just decorated if you go down fifth avenue and you see all the shop windows are uh -huh. different themes and rockefeller center and ryan park there's this beautiful market in ryan park that apparently was rated as the best in the world uh -huh. that it's a park where it just gets transformed into all of these markets you know any cuisine and um pastries and hot Toddies and find little gifts and it's a magical place you see the tree i always feel bad they cut this majestic tree from wherever they cut but it becomes part of history you know well look happy christmas to happy you christmas. i will be thinking of you was it the 16th then that i'll be thinking i good lord i hope they like that pudding <laughs> oh no oh, oh i'm gonna take pictures and videos for you i'm sure they're gonna love it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Never ever it felt. Only, <laughs> it was only one year I made, and it was a two-day process, this huge chocolate babka. Oh. It was beautiful. It was like a crone, like it was just like a, a weave tapestry of goodness. And they hardly ate it. They hardly, maybe because they didn't know what it was. And I got so annoyed because I said, they don't even know. <laughs> forget it. I said, I'm going to give it. So I took it back. I said, forget, you don't know what's good. So they're going to eat this pudding, let me tell you. Well, <laughs> if you remember when we first talked about 
the Christmas pudding, it was because we were talking about scones and there was a Christmas pudding scone recipe. That's right. And so if they don't eat it and you're not that keen on it as Christmas pudding, just convert it to Christmas um, pudding scone. I said, no, I'll need that recipe too, because I don't think you gave me that one. <laughs> Kim Goldfeder-Clark, who did it? Making not only my family recipe Christmas puddings, but Christmas cakes too. And wishing Kim and the Clark family well for the 16th. You can follow Kim on her social media, Mr Bentley's World, and also your mum's in the kitchen. Thank you for getting in touch this week via Shat Bagley's Facebook and Instagram pages. If you're not following, please do, as I pop all the information from the podcast on there, plus any happenings or goings on, including the news that I have written this year's Christmas song. Not sure whether you think that is a good thing or not, but you'll be able to hear it on Friday the 22nd of December. I'll apologise now. Time for our next guest, and it's the gardening guru himself, Mr Reg Moore, and we're talking Christmas trees. We weren't going to, uh, but we ended up doing, uh, after Reg mentioned he'd been working on a Sunday with the trees, they were a man down. My boss has cut through a ligament in his right hand, uh, putting glass into a greenhouse, putting into a greenhouse door, actually. Yeah, so he's out of action, so having to do extra days pulling the Christmas trees through the knitting machine. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been ever tempted to launch yourself through that? Because there's a video that's very famous, isn't there, of somebody doing exactly that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can fit people through them. I've never been through it personally. <laughs> you know, usually it's it's the sort of younger um, and often female members of staff who end up going through them. But uh, I have been present when it's been done, but it's never been done to me. <laughs> Does it take quite a lot of physicals? Because we haven't even got ours yet, Reg. I mean, you can see as you're no. chatting to me, normally over my right shoulder, there would be a tree, the lights. We are so behind yeah. this year. So when, I've, when we've been, they've pulled them through. It always looks quite a bit of an effort to get through. Is it a bit of a, um, a workout? Well, it is, yeah. It depends a bit on how thick the trees are, you know. Uh, but some of them, particularly, because of course nowadays there's more than one type of tree, isn't there? You know, one time there was just the old Norway spruce and that was the Christmas tree and that was your choice. Um, and they are the ones that tend to drop their needles a bit because their needles are thin and they dry out and so they tend to drop, um, drop off a bit. But the others, other than Norway spruces, uh, you get the um, Nordman firs and Fraser firs. There's quite a, quite a range of things available now. No, the Noble fir is another one. So there's quite a few of them. The most common one, though, is, is the Nordman fir. But all those firs are much better at holding their needles. And, of course, they grow more slowly than the Norway spruces do. So you get a nice tight shape with them, and they're often very bushy at the bottom so you have a job pulling them through the machine more than some of the norway spruces uh, uh, but really when you come to buy a tree you know we've all got a fair idea what height tree we want you know a fair idea yeah. you know although someone somebody did say to me a couple of days ago looking at a tree that was about five foot high saying of course that's more than six foot isn't it and i said no i said i'm not six foot and it's smaller than me uh, but the, the, most of us know how what height we've got what we don't realize is the width of these modern trees is a lot 
wider than ever it used to be. So it's a good idea before you go to buy a tree, as well as considering what height you want, consider what width you can get in. Uh, and, and take a tape with you when you're choosing your tree and just run it across the bottom of the tree to make sure you can get that width into your house. Yeah, and the car. And, well, and the car. And, and clean your car out too. When you're going to come for the Christmas tree, if you've got anything else in your car, take it out um, and be ready to fold the seats down and learn how to fold the seats down in some cases. Um, but, you know, the worst was a chap who came, oh, this is a couple of three years ago now, um, with a decent sized car. So it was all looking very good until I got to the got to the boot yeah. and then he opened the boot. And the a whole of the inside of the car was full of rubbish. Oh no! And all in black bags and, <laughs> and old throws and stuff. And he said, "Oh, I, I should have gone to the tip before I came here." <laughs> <laughs> but we still got the tree in. Oh, how and then, funny! And then, of course, you get the people who come with family members and all sorts, and, and they still and you can't get the tree in because there's just too many people. And then the people get left behind and somebody goes off with the tree and leaves the others as sort of hostages <laughs> while they take the tree home. <laughs> Could they not just strap the family member to the roof? I think that would be a much better idea, Reg. Oh, that's funny. You could you could tell some tales then by the sounds, Reg. Oh, oh yes, all sorts goes on. And there's always rows. There's lots of rows. No. Oh, yeah. I want this. Oh, I want that tree. Oh, tremendous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that goes on as well. It's quite exciting, really. Well, when we go, um, last year was the first time in all our time together, so a long, long time, of when yeah. we were in and out within half an hour, Reg. Normally, it's a bit like the old um, dresses with women, I'm afraid, us girls, because we'll, the big first one we might really like, but then we just yeah. have to look at all the others. <laughs> to make sure <laughs> yeah, it was sure our first right. one <laughs> <laughs> well my record the record this year uh where i work was uh, was saturday week and it was two and a half hours <sighs> to one tree for a tree <laughs> no. two and a half hours were they still speaking to each other when they were when they left uh yes 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 as you said really the lady couldn't make her mind up which one she wanted <laughs> and her husband was quite passive about it all you know um and and he said this could take half an hour but it took it took two and a half oh, my lord oh bless him i think it is us girls as well i don't think i've ever seen a fella kind of make the decision they do a lot of standing don't they and doing the turn yeah. and what is it with us when we go just just twizzle round twizzle round yeah oh i'm looking forward yeah. to that oh bless you oh good luck on sunday then pulling um <laughs> pulling your trees through as oh yes there won't be so many by this sunday gosh gosh i'm late now i'm worrying now oh, reg people are buying trees earlier than they'd ever used to you know don't forget i've been in the in the sort of nursery garden center trade now for 50 odd years 1972 i went went left college and went into it and people are buying trees earlier now than they were then definitely of course the trees with the the, the needle fast trees like the nordman firs and things they do hold their needles um you know so there's not so much needle dropping going mm. on you wouldn't want to have a, a norway spruce in your house for a very long period because you'd have no needles left yes unless it was a pot grown one 
But um, the uh, the Norway, the uh, Nordman furs, I mean, and the others, they do hold their needles that much better. So I suppose you can buy them earlier. Mm. Yeah, because that was always a thing, wasn't it? Especially with central heating in a house, Reg. Mm. Folk don't yeah. tend to have that. That's interesting. I wonder why. Do they say why they've come in so early? I think that people are starting Christmas early. Well, lots of people are starting Christmas earlier than they used to, you know, uh, I think that's really why it is. Mm. Um, or, or wanted to get the houses decorated for Christmas earlier, you know. Yeah. But when you get your tree home, it is best to keep it away from sources of heat, no matter what sort of a tree it is. And if it's got its uh, its roots sawn off, you really need a, a stand that you can put some water into. A lot of stands have got these reservoirs in them now. But you can pour some water in um, and the tree, uh, as long as you saw a fresh piece off the bottom of the tree when you're setting it up, so you've got some nice fresh tissue to mm. take the water in um, and then keep the stand with water and you'll be all right and if you get one of the these sort of needle retaining trees it, it should be you know very just about as good when it's time to take it out in january as it was when you set it up do all fresh trees smell reg um yes all of them have a scent certainly it's more more pronounced when it's in your home when you're going out to buy your tree um sometimes there isn't such a, a great scent if they're outside and, and it's you know a day when the wind is blowing but once you get them into your home they all they do produce a scent mm. in your house yeah because it's more enclosed and you you can smell it um people who have artificial trees of course you can buy a, a, a spray of um, <laughs> tree scent, which you can spray onto your artificial tree if you like to get that sort of smell from the trees. Good grief. God, what do they think of next, day? Eh? Oh, bless you. Well, thank you for that. I'll let you know I'll get on, Reg. We'll, we'll have, hopefully get ours very soon. We'll have to, otherwise it'll be, it'll be well, next, you'd have to. next year. <laughs> thank you to Reg Mool. He'll be back next week with a few handy tips to look after our Christmas pot plants. He really is a gardening guru. And speaking of gardens, my sister found the smallest of hedgehogs scavenging by, by the bird table the other day. The fact it was broad daylight tells you it wasn't well and it should have been hibernating, bless it, possibly since October. Anyway, she had some hedgehog food, which it promptly ate, which is a good sign, and then managed to pick it up and take it to a wildlife hospital nearby. Fingers crossed the little chap makes it, and if he does, he'll be returned to my sister in the spring as they are territorial. Time for our final guest and it's award-winning chef Mark Harris from both the Pheasant Inn at Neenton and the Tally Ho at Bolden near Ludlow, both in Shropshire. We hear all the time about pubs and restaurants closing sadly, so thought we'd buck the trend and meet one half of a successful duo which after running the Pheasant for nine years have recently taken on a second venue, both of which treat their guests to the best of seasonal produce, locally sourced if possible. It's their busiest time of the year, but I managed to grab some time with Mark at the Tally Ho, which he and his partner, Sarah, took on three months ago. Sarah was busy upstairs in the office, whilst Mark and I sat by the fire, chatting about where it all began with the pheasant, which I remember had been closed for a long time beforehand, but not sure exactly how long. It was shut for nine years and it was completely derelict and then the community, they bought the property after a long legal battle to get it because um, the previous owner was happy to just leave it wrecked. They bought it, 
did a clever bit of um, ingenuity, I would say, um, by doing a bit of a land swap with a farmer who was one of the board of directors, and they there's a set of seven new houses on the back of the car park, effectively. And they used the sale of that land to Shropshire Council for houses, including help to buy schemes, to then do up the pub. They brought me and Sarah in quite early on in the process, and luckily Sarah has vision that I don't. Because um, when we first walked in on day one, I stood in the bar, looked up three floors to the ceiling and could see the sky. And I was just like, I don't get it. Like, I can't. How is this going to work? It was uh, that bad? Yeah, it was totally derelict. And like I said, there was no roof on it. It was just dilapidated. And then, um, yeah, so they did it. There was problems along the way. So we both quit our jobs, signed up. And then when we signed up, it was in the middle of the recession. And the contractor had gone bust. So they, they lost a load of money to the contract. Uh, and the, the project ground to halt. And me and Sarah like got the jobs um, and you've got a family and yes we've got family you know four kids which no pressure um, so what happened then so if it, the contract they, has gone and you're in that position how do you cope they ended up taking grants they got some grants and they managed to get it over the line and we just what we did the whole project sort of worked in stages it was meant to be all completed as a whole project so we've got bedrooms at the pheasant and we so we just stopped them we'll, we'll we just wanted to get the, door, the doors open trading and yeah so we Got it open. Um, first couple of years were interesting. A community-owned pub, 150 owners with 150 ideas of how the pub's meant to look, behave. A pool table was a massive issue, I remember, in the early days. They wanted a pool table. It was costly. It was going to take up space. And it, there was just so many random arguments that happened. So, yeah. Um, and ironically, we, we kind of struggled really with it until about 2019 2018-19 and to the point where me and Sarah were toying with like walking away from it because it just was really not working out and then we had someone come in one of the directors who kind of pointed us in the right direction to really sharpen up the business and make it more business focused than community focused and not less community focused but it was less community owned pub and make it more this is a business more professional more professional is probably a great word um and then we really started to kick on and then covid happened <laughs> um um, but COVID, like, you know, people have got different views on COVID. COVID was one of the best things that's ever happened for the pheasant because it allowed us a moment, even though we worked right the way through the lockdowns, doing takeaways and helping the village out and stuff like that. It just allowed us to stop, breathe, put a line in the sand and say, where is this business going? What is the focus once we come out of this? And we drove it um, in, you know, the, the really good quality, finer dining side of a public house because we just thought to ourselves that people are going to want to be out less because of the situation. So when they go out, they're going to want quality and it might be they only go out once a month rather than once a week or once every two weeks. So we really drove the quality, really drove the experience um, and luckily for us it worked. Um, and the pheasant immediately just went from strength to strength. And we've just kind of stuck to that process um, with regards to the pheasant, even through you know the latest kind of credit crunch kind of scenario scenario we really we really stuck to people are going to want quality you know, and we've just definitely noticed that people don't mind paying for quality they might go out less you know some of our regulars at the pheasant have, you know we have conversations with them they're like we'd rather go out once every two weeks and once every week if we know we're going to get quality yeah. and you said about the pheasant and the community i loved it i can't remember the official title you did it but when folk on their own 
hadn't seen anybody who got them together and had tables so they could eat together those those, yeah. those individuals yeah so we do the village table so we did i actually did it last night we did the christmas one last night which was fun uh, 50 covers and it was always designed around people on their own who could come in once a month and know that there'd be other people in the pub that they could sit and have a meal with and not be on their own um, and we do that once a month and it started off we were doing about 10 or 12 people and then last night I did 50 covers for Christmas dinner which that's amazing and they're those people just getting together and that's what it should be about yeah and they all do secret Santa and stuff and oh. it's just a whole community spirit which is quite nice because you know sometimes in these communities people can get isolated isolated and left behind and it's really nice that once because we have to be business focused sometimes um and at times that can be left behind when you're trying to do a community thing um and so we've kind of started to try and bring that down to the new place as well well let's do it in stages because the pheasant then she's been up and running she is rural she when i say rural yes it's a main road from one town to the other But that one town to the other could be 40 minutes. You are probably 20 minutes into that journey from halfway. 15 minutes from Bridge North, uh, 20 minutes from Ludlow. Um, So locationally, it's, I mean, when we first moved there, because I'd lived in Manchester for several years, I I thought it was actually back beyond middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, And I remember, look, again, with the lack of vision, looking at Sarah, go, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, we're opening a pub in the middle of nowhere. Like, no one's going to come here. Um, And now I've lived there for like nine years. I'm just like, it's actually not that bad, to be fair. It's quite a good location. The road's not great. But I suppose if you're going from a town, it's a, it's a really it's really nice to go out into the country, the greenery. I mean, I like all the big wild birds that you see flying around the place. Like I'm like mad into that. And so locationally, I don't think it's that bad. Um, and we've managed to make it. We knew early doors it was going to have to be a drive-out destination. 150 people in the village wasn't going to be enough to sustain it. Yeah. So we we knew it was going to have to be drive-out, and we'd have to make decisions to make that. And it's become that monster. Um, big wild birds in the rural setting is slightly different from the big wild birds in Manchester. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. Saturday. Just a little bit. Yeah. So. We're doing well. We're in Saw Days, which, if you're not in the UK, is a a big deal. It's a destination, pub, restaurant, and long may it continue. So we thought we were on an even keel. You and Sarah have been together many, many years, and you said, we're going to get married. You've got the date. You've got a fund for that that wedding. Now, the wedding was going to be when? The wedding is this uh, 2024, October the 5th, um, if I believe. So we got that, didn't we? And we were going to go Cyprus. You were going to do it. Hmm. What's happened to that wedding fund, Mark? Um, Well, what happened was we got approached this January just gone um, so yeah we were uh, on our post Christmas break from the pheasant because the pheasant's super busy and we have a little break in January and we go away and we hibernate for a week because we closed the pub and then someone contacted us about another pub that we'd actually looked at a year previous and turned down the option to take it on and spent the week discussing it came and had a look at it and it kind of fell in love with it Oh, well. Both of you. Both of us did oh. kind of fall in love with it, but not to the point where Sarah was like, we're going to actually try and do this. Whereas I was kind of like, yeah, I think we should do this. Um, and so then, yeah, so we decided the right thing to do would be to open the second pub and spend all of our wedding budget oh. on a kitchen for me. No. Yeah, all of it. It's all gone. 
how can you still be together? I don't know. I don't know. Even the kids look at me like, what have you done? So, yeah. So, it's got to work. (laughs) That's the driving force. It's got to work. Now, we know the pheasant's rural. I would say this is even more rural. Yeah, this is ridiculously rural. <laughs> this is like, it, it, honestly, like literally, uh, I, can't, I can't. I mean, it's it's staggeringly beautiful. Looking out the window now, and you you can't see anything other than greenery. <laughs> but yeah, when we first came here, I was like, like the, even the roads in, which I'm sure you can allude to, are just they're just they're not great roads. There's no great road near us. Um, Twenty minutes from Ludlow, but you're probably doing half the distance that you would do to get to the pheasant at half the speed. <laughs> single track lanes it just shouldn't work and we sat down with the owners and we kind of put our plan together for what we need this to do to be worth doing and they were like you're not going to get that many people to that pub it's just not going to happen what were you aiming for then what was in the plan we had a figure and we set the figure and we knew the kind of numbers we'd need to do so the fig the pub sits about comfortably about 35 um on a good day because it is a tiny little thing yeah, we were like, well, we need to do 70, 80 on a Sunday. We need to do 50 on a Saturday night. And, and they were like, never, you're not going to do that. You need to probably set your sights a little lower than that. But did you have to say those figures because that's the only way you're going to make money? No, it, it, the negotiation, it was quite an open negotiation. You know, they'd set what they wanted as a rental figure. We'd set what we wanted to make from a profit point of view. And we were very open in the fact that we'd be running two businesses. So me and Sarah wouldn't be necessarily staff, if that makes any sense. You know, I wouldn't be 100% here like I am at the, was at the Pheasant. Um, so we'd have to employ people. So we knew the figures that we would need to do in order to pay the staff to cover us to be able to float between two businesses. Yeah. But where do they come from? Because the staff to start with, the them, staff, it's one yeah, thing having it, the staff. We've done really well, to be fair. Um, you know, chefs for a start, obviously there's a massive shortage of chefs in this industry. Skills gap is growing i think it's becoming quite a problem not just in our, our sector you know butchery i go I'm very well my butcher and they're having issues as well and it's a shame um and so we very early on from the first as soon as we came out of covid you know we realized we're gonna have to train like there's no point just going out there you're not gonna buy these wrapped up chefs so we'd already started training two guys up at the pheasant so the ones come down here with me and we brought another young lad in at the, fe- at the pheasant and then i've employed another young lad in here with me so we've got two young lads down here, two up at the pheasant, and then I've also got two other chefs up at the pheasant. So we're like doing all right for chefs. Mm-hmm. Um, we also really work on work-life balance with them. We've always run the pheasant like a family, and we've done the same across the whole spectrum, you know, because it was the way we ran the pheasant, and it was the biggest thing we struggled with the transition for the first couple of months was making sure we kept it together as a big family bubble. Um, even though they're working on two different sites we wanted them to all feel a part of one family unit which is why I do the phone call every night I finish service and I always call up check in talk to all of them every morning before I come down here or if vice versa I go have a coffee with them have a chat with them check everyone's all right have a laugh Um, do they call your dad (laughs) no (laughs) no there's other words Um, uh, there's many other words but dad is not one of them um so yeah but it is it and they're all doing really well and then front of house we've just done really well like somehow they just come from so that's the reputation so we knew we got the staff and we know we've got the quality yeah right you need the people those early days you kind of weren't looking for too many because you were settling in what happened um sarah happened so she blames me for everything 
because it generally is my fault this is this is all me this one because the pheasant the joke has always been at the pheasant that this was sarah's idea the pheasant because i was the one stood the go and we're in the middle of nowhere what are we doing but we'll do it and then this one this one's all me so then yeah so we started quite slowly we decided we're, not, we're just going to do a bit more word of mouth uh run the social media through the pheasant forgetting just how prolific the pheasant social media is because of sarah um and also some people who are associated with our business who've got quite the social media presence as well um and then it just ran wild really quickly so we've done no official marketing for the tally ho we've done nothing like that and it's just gone pretty crazy and it started off the idea is it was going to be overflow for the pheasant because for running into spring last year the pheasant consistently does 100 120 every sunday and we turn away probably 60 every sunday so we needed an overflow that must hurt yeah it was quite painful um and it was the same with saturday nights because the numbers always lower on a saturday night because it's a more plated style of service um that we never get greedy 50 was the number that is comfortable that we can execute at the best possible standard so then we were turning people on a Saturday night. So this became my, well, the way I sold it. So this was the overflow. And very quickly, Sunday lunches started filling. Saturday nights fill. Uh, Fridays are doing all right. And I don't know where they come from. I literally don't. There's nights in here. And we've had a couple of midweeks of the crazy ones. Midweek is where we're, you know, I might walk in and we've got 20 booked. And then all of a sudden, Sarah's like, you're on 35. And I'm like, where have they come from? They were passing. <laughs> Passing, yeah, and passing from where to I don't know where? where they're going, where they've come from. They're going nowhere. Um, so, but that's it, bizarre. It's it's crazy. Like, and then so now it's got to the point, probably three months in, where the overflow might need an overflow, which is what I've said to Sarah, no. and I think she might leave me if I carry on. <laughs> the wedding might be off, but no. So yeah, it's just been crazy. It's been a very interesting experience. Yeah, but that is. Just two people with a surrounding family and backup of staff. But at the end of the day, you're a business, a business in an industry that's struggling at the moment. You are going against the trend, aren't you? Because yeah. a lot of pubs and restaurants are closing. Yeah. What do you think it is that you do that maybe others don't? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we take advice from everywhere. So when we decided we were looking at the second site, um, I took advice off people um, who I respect within the industry, other people who I know that are doing well. Uh, we watch the industry closely. And I think we've just tapped into a market, certainly in the Shropshire area. There's a gap for quality, certainly within pubs, a little bit. I think, you know, because of the skills gap in chefs, some people have been forced to maybe buy certain things in or forced to take different directions um, and you know it's just the way the industry has gone whereas I think what you see certainly in the Shropshire area in Ludlow for instance people who are producing quality are thriving um, and it's the same in the Bridge North area um, these you know we, we talk to a lot of people and people who if you just stick to your guns with the quality I think you know you do all right and that's not to say some of these big restaurants that you know that have gone have, are not producing quality it's not uh, wages is the big big one at the moment and it's you know that's you know a big thing for restaurants at the moment is wage bill um, and you know keeping your staff like you know we've all and which is why we've worked on work-life balance our full-timers uh, majority work on a four-day working week uh, we came out of covid with um, a different mindset because um, yeah. going into covid i was working seven days a week you know my chefs were working five six days a week you know because that's what chefs did mm. 
And how many hours a, a week as well? Do you remember? I was probably doing 70 to 80 hours a week and the guys were doing 60, 60 odd hours a week. And obviously everyone had all this time off. I mean, some of us didn't because we did the takeaways, but yeah. still I got a lot more time at home with my kids and than I was when I was running a full-time restaurant. And, and then, then you realised, hang on, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, I don't want to go back to doing seven days a week and I don't want my team, because all of our team have got, you know, you know, I've got some elder statesmen in my team, um, which if they listen to this, they'll thank me for saying that. Uh, uh, but they've all got kids. And so we sat down and with all of them and said this is what we're thinking but we need to figure out how to do it we need to figure out how to manage the four day working week it might mean four longer days but you have an extra day off at home your kids we all kind of signed up for it um without really figuring it out and we're still working our way through it we've had problems this year uh with holidays um because whenever because it was easier with one pub with one pub if one chef went on holiday we all stepped up did an extra day to cover that holiday and it worked uh whereas for two pubs and eight chefs who like if one chef goes on holiday all of a sudden there's 45 weeks of the year where someone's on holiday and so the four-day working week falls to bits so we're still working our way through it it's not a polished thing yet um, but everyone because it's something that we've discussed with the team and we've designed together everyone's invested in doing it together and that's the again the family kind of atmosphere that we have with the team mm. is there a wedding fund that's been accumulating now I mean, dare i ask is there a wedding fund part two i hope so <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think we're going to see the accounts next week so i might have an answer next week we haven't got a plan b <laughs> we haven't got a plan B but yeah hope so um, it's still early days for the tally home but the pheasant is still flying um, and it's just you know see how it goes do you have sleepless nights? no no yeah, I don't too tired Sarah, yeah I'm too tired I just get to bed and fall asleep Sarah does <laughs> I don't uh, I just fall asleep you know things happen in threes Mark yeah I'm aware I'm aware I've been saying that to Sarah she, yeah she's uh, and I think she's slowly warming to the idea <laughs> I think so I think so um, the first like say the first few months of this has been brutal it has been hard it's been pressure um, me and Sarah have been like passing ships in the night and we've got four kids which also four, three of them are teenagers we're outnumbered on teenagers at the moment that's happened this year and it's like it's literally like the Harry Enfield sketch like literally they went they went to bed as 12 year olds and they came downstairs and like, like who are you like who are you looking back and all the work would you have wanted to do anything other than what you're doing now as a chef no other than a postman I always wanted to be a postman the uniform <laughs> yeah and the hours because I, I tend to be an early bird anyway so it's the hours and the uniform and just not so no yeah I, this is what I want to do and I'm I still enjoy it I still have a uh, a passion to do it it's just changed a little bit I would say Mark and Sarah Up says the dynamic duo who along with their team run the fantastic pheasant at Neenton and now their tallyho near Ludlow must visits if you're in the area I'll put all their information on our Instagram and Facebook pages if you want to know more. Wishing all those involved in the hospitality industry a good one. They work so hard and certainly put the hours in. I did ask Mark about the alarming rise of no-shows. People booking tables and just not turning up. Who does that? I suspect we'll be heading into the compulsory deposit taking very soon here in the UK. But what's it like where you are? 
I'd be interested to know. As always, you can get in touch via Facebook and Instagram and email podcast at theshackbagley.co.uk. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast. It's totally free. No funny business, I promise. So that's it for another week. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Glenn, do you fancy going to Nipple and Naples? <laughs>